Welcome to the Palm Harvest Podcast. We are a community in Costa Mesa, California. To know more about us, visit our website, palmharvest.com. To follow along with today's message, download the Palm Harvest app and click on Sermon Notes. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Palm Harvest Church. I'm Pastor Mike Decker. Say hello, Pastor Mike. Happy New Year. So as you begin a new year, like we are, what's day two now, what's your mindset? Are you like, do you tend to think about the last year or is it like a clean slate and you're ready to move forward? Today, I want you to, uh, we're going to do a couple of interesting things, but as we launch into this new year, uh, I always tend to look at a new year as sort of a starting blocks to a, a new race. Here's the big idea that I want you to consider uh, in our conversation. So if you're taking notes in your Palm Harvest app, uh, write this down. And that is this. God uses people to nudge us into a new direction. So we're going to talk a little bit about new directions today. So think about this idea that God uses people to nudge us into new directions. Now, brothers and sisters, when you review the events of your life, can you, can you think of an experience or maybe a decision you made because of someone's nudging, because of someone's influence? You know, I can remember uh, years ago after Robin and I had first moved to Costa Mesa, I was a young pastor. We were serving in another church here in, in Costa Mesa, and there was a, a couple in our church that were both very successful uh, business leaders. He was the chief financial officer for a $500 million company, and she uh, was a, uh, really a very successful entrepreneur and a, a businesswoman, a saleswoman. She had her own company and was extremely uh, effective and efficient at that. And I can remember the two of them pulling me aside after our services that particular morning. We were out in the parking lot of our church campus, and they asked me this question. They said, Mike, have you ever considered getting involved in the Costa Mesa Chamber of Commerce? Nudge, nudge. Have you ever considered getting involved in the Costa Mesa Chamber of Commerce? And I said, no, uh, not really. Uh, Why? Why do you ask that? And they said, we think, we've been talking about this, and we think that you would really flourish in, in that environment. You know, you're really good. Uh, you have a heart for business leaders. You have especially a heart for entrepreneurs. Uh, we think it would be good for you. We think it, Costa Mesa would benefit from you getting involved. Uh, we think you should do it. We think you, should, you could add value, not only to your own life, but to the life of those people around you. We think you should consider it. And then they continued they say, Mike, we also think that you should consider joining a Toastmasters club. I, I, I didn't know, I'd never heard of that. I said, well, what's a Toastmasters club? And they said, well, really, a Toastmasters club, it's a speaking club. It's, it's comprised of, a lot of times, business leaders. How many of you have ever been a part of a Toastmasters club? Anybody? Uh, it's, it's a group of leaders that come together generally over a luncheon or in the evening. And really, the goal is to help you and to help each other grow in your speaking public speaking ability. They said, we, we already think that you're a good speaker, so don't be offended by this suggestion, but we just really think, again, this might be something that you would, would, would benefit from. 
Well, as I walked away from that conversation, I began, I began to pray about uh, their, their suggestions. And as a result of their nudging, as I look back now on this in my life, I realize how God used both Brian and Liz to really activate my community engagement. In fact, in a lot of ways, my doctoral dissertation is, is fruit from their nudging. So I want you to think today, as we're talking through this conversation, is who has God nudged you to maybe bring you to the place where you're at today? God uses people to nudge us into new direction. So here, I've, I want, I want, I'd like you to do something for me today. Are you up for a little uh, a game, if you will? I want you to right now, I want you to begin to think about individuals in your life Maybe as you think about your own journey, can you think of a name of someone who maybe God used over the years to nudge you to move into a new direction? Anybody have a name? So here's your, here's, here's your homework assignment. Right now, for the next three to four minutes, I want us to just break up around with the groups of people you're sitting with. It could be in the, your row. It could be around you. But I want you to share with each other the name of one person, at least, who you can immediately come to mind think, of some, who God used, the Brian and Liz's in your life, so to speak, who maybe nudged you to move into a new direction. Okay, would you do that? Maybe share the name, keep it real short, and maybe what it was that they, they led you to do. Okay, everybody, go. Go do it. You got three minutes. Okay, good. Let's come back together. Looks from the looks of things, it looks like all of you can think of somebody maybe who God used in your life to nudge you to move into a new direction. So today we're going to look at a Bible story, and I want you to, to really uh, look for this that involves some new direction nudging. And as we begin to unpack this story, and it's only three Bible verses that we're going to look at today, I want you to ask yourself, personalize this, I want you to ask yourself two questions. In fact, these are two questions I would love for you to really spend some time uh, throughout this next week, these next seven days, thinking about and mulling over uh, for your own life. Okay, so here's question number one that I want you to think about today in our story, but also in this upcoming week, and that is this. Where is God currently nudging me? Okay, so personalize that. One of the questions I want you to be thinking about today and in the days to come is ask this question as, you, as we're stepping into this new year, where is God currently nudging me? Okay. And then the second question that I want you to think about is where might or who might God be inviting me to nudge? Are you following me? So not only are we to be to be nudged, but I think there's a strong possibility that this coming year God is going to use you to nudge somebody else. So who is where is God invite, you know, where is God currently nudging me and who might God want me to nudge? Big idea, because God uses people to nudge us into a new direction, okay? So if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn in it, whether it's in paper or digital form, I want you to go to the, an Old Testament book called the book of 1 Kings. Now from the beginning of your Bible, it's the 11th book, if you have a paper, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and then bingo, you're at 1 Kings, okay? So we're gonna look at 1 Kings, 
chapter 19. Now we're only going to read, as I mentioned already, three verses out of 1 Kings chapter 19. But what I want you to look for in this story is how God uses one man to nudge a second man into action. Reinforcing this big idea that God uses people to nudge us into new directions. Okay, so 1 Kings chapter 19, skip down to verse 19 and picture the scene in your mind. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. God uses people to nudge us into new directions. You know, in this story, the Bible writer describes a field. Can you picture a field in your mind? And in this field, we're told that it is being plowed up by a group of farmhands who are each controlling a, a team of oxen. Now question, how many oxen are in each team? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible tell us? The Bible doesn't tell us anything, does it? It doesn't say how many animals are in each team. And so really, the Bible writer is leaving it up to your and my imagination to determine how many oxen are in each team. So let's take a quick poll. As you read the story, and, and maybe you envisioned it in your mind, with the show of hands, how many of you envisioned there being two oxen per team? Oh, that's really good. How many of you envisioned there being four oxen per team? Anybody? How many envisioned more than that? Well, in my mind, like the majority of you appears in this auditorium, in my mind, I envision two animals per team. But it's just a guess. But what I find interesting, and what the Bible writer does tell us, if you look in, in, your, in your scriptures here, if you remember it from your mind, is that there are how many teams of oxen? There's 12, right? Which suggests what? It suggests that there are likely 12 oxen drivers. Would you agree with that? Is that plausible? One oxen driver per team? Now notice this. Out of the 12 oxen drivers, how many of them are mentioned by name? Show of fingers, how many, show me. Just one, right? Only one, and what's his name? Elisha, son of Shaphat. And what's the name of the guy who throws his cloak over Elisha's shoulders? Elijah. Do y'all remember who Elijah was? Elijah is a prophet of God. 
Elijah is an Old Testament Mike Decker. He is a spokesman. He is a mouthpiece for God. And in biblical days, the prophets of God, like Elijah, were often given assignments by God to nudge people. They would anoint kings for leadership. They would stand up for justice and defend the rights of the poor and the underprivileged. In Elijah's case, he was known as the prophet of, anybody know? Fire. He was the prophet of fire because his ministry often demonstrated these demonstrative displays of spiritual authority. When Elijah nudged, things happened. On the Bible records 16 different miracles that Elijah performed displaying God's power. On one occasion, which is where he gets his name from, Elijah called down fire from heaven. Remember the story of the bales and the, you know, the bulls and all that? And God responded. God delivered. On another occasion, Elijah prayed that the rain would stop. And for the next three and a half years, the country went into a drought. How would you like to have that kind of power when you prayed? And then Elijah prayed again that God would send the rain. And what happens? The rain came. God watered the land. Elijah is what we would consider, and I think safely call, a spiritual giant. Well, part of a prophet's job description, which we see depicted here in verse 19, involves selecting and training future leaders and future prophets. Now, I find it interesting, and maybe you do too, that out of the 12 guys who are plowing in the field that day, only one of the team drivers does Elijah nudge to consider really a new direction. Only one does Elijah, are we told, throw his cloak over the shoulders. And that's who? Elisha, son of Shaphat. Now, for just a, a rabbit trail here, if you ever want to remember who came first, Elijah or Elisha, just think of the alphabet. J comes before S. Are you with me? So Elijah's number one and Elisha is number two. So the next time you're on win a million bucks and they're asked who's the, who came first, you'll remember who comes first? Elijah, because J comes before S in the alphabet. That's a bonus question for you today. Now think about this. Church, why do you think Elijah picked Elisha to follow him that day? I mean, Elijah had 12 options, didn't he? 12 different drivers, didn't he? So why pick Elisha? Why select him? Do you know what I think? I submit I submit, and, and I haven't read this anywhere, so you know, take it for what it's worth. I submit it's because out of all the oxen drivers, Elisha was the most teachable. That Elisha was the most flexible. And you say, Mike, how do you arrive at that? Of the 12 teams of oxen, which team was Elisha responsible for? What's the Bible say? The 12th team, right? Which means there are 11 teams in front of him, right? 
Friends, I submit that the reason Elisha is plowing in the back, the reason that he is pulling up the rear and eating the dirt and the dust of the teams plowing in front of him is likely because he's the youngest in the group or certainly the most inexperienced one in the group. You wouldn't want the most experienced one in the group leading because what would, look, what would your fields look like? So he's at the back, following the lead of everybody in front of him. Now, would you write this down somewhere in the margin of your notes if you, if you, if you can? Inexperience can make you teachable. Inexperience can make you teachable, but experience can make you rigid. Inexperience can make you teachable, but experience can make you rigid. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that the reason Elijah threw his cloak over the shoulders of Elisha is because Elijah knew that Elisha was teachable. Elisha hadn't lived a whole lot of life yet, so he was likely hungry and enthusiastic about trying new things and taking new risks. Are you? Evaluate yourself. As you stand on the doorstep of this new year and you evaluate yourself, would you say that you were hungry to try new things and explore new adventures or are you content and comfortable and maybe even a, even a little bit rigid? You know, if God were to nudge you today and ask you to step out of your comfort zone and step into a new direction, would you do it? Are you nudgeable? Now, there are three things, at least that I grabbed from this story, that I think, and I'm suggesting, the Bible teaches us about taking new directions. And the first thing, point number one, is that new direction involves opportunity. New direction involves opportunity. Friends, I propose that sometime this new year, I propose that God is going to nudge you and he is going to nudge me to consider transitioning into a new direction. In fact, and, and, and what I want you to hear from me today is I implore you to be open to that nudging. Because God, and this is the word for the day, I think continually wants to reformat us God wants to continually reshape and, and, and tweak us so that we can thrive in this fractured world in which we live. Are you open to be nudged? Let me hear you say yes. yes. New directions involve opportunity. Point number two. A second thing that I think this Bible story teaches us about taking new direction is that new direction involves accountability. New direction involves accountability. You know, after Elijah throws his cloak over the shoulders of Elisha, it's, it's, it's just 
without any real explanation, Elisha immediately understands the opportunity that is before him. The prophet Elijah is inviting him to join what we might call the prophet club. Elijah is inviting Elisha to leave behind his farming career and venture out into something new, into something different, into something possibly even dangerous. And so in Elisha's decision-making process to respond to this new direction opportunity that is before him, notice how Elisha involves others in his decision-making. Who does Elisha first tell about this invitation from the prophet Elijah? What's the Bible tell us? His mom and dad, right? In, in, in verse 20, Elisha says, let me tell my mom and dad goodbye, and then I will go with you. Now parents, think about this. If your son or daughter came to you, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk to Mike and Rob, uh, and Brooke here this morning. If, if, if Morgan and Kai came to you and said, hey, mom and dad, I, I'm, I feel like God's calling me to be a missionary in some foreign land. What would you say? Everybody personalize this. Grandkids. If they came to you and said, you know what, Pops, you know what, Nana, I'm thinking about God's calling me to, to go and to, to serve him in some foreign land where I'm, my life could be at risk. What would your response be? Would it be go for it? Or would you try to talk him out of it? Now listen to me. Are you open are you open to have God work in your life, and this is for all of us, and move you into a new direction? I mean, how many of you would be willing to walk away from your current career? Are you at a place in your life where you would be open to have God nudge you to move in a new direction? You know, when I was in high school, when I was younger, in my high school and college days, and, and a lot of you have heard me tell this story I began to grasp, I really began to feel this nudge that God was calling me to be a pastor. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to live in a glass house. In college, my goal was to become a chemical engineer. So I spent lots of hours in the lab doing chemistry experiments and, and blowing things up, literally. One time my lab partner caught on fire. It was, it was great. And uh, lots of calculus and stuff. And, and originally I, was, I wanted to be an oceanographer because I loved the ocean. And we had been at SeaWorld when I was a really young kid and thought, I'm going to play with you know, whales and stuff. That would be the coolest thing. But then I realized I needed more chemistry for that than I did for, to become a chemical engineer. And chemical engineers are the highest paying engineering job that you can have. They're the, the, one of the most you know, lucrative Careers to go into, and I thought, well, I'm going to do that instead of play with whales. And so I started, be, I was aiming to become a chemical engineer. Plus, I also, when I contrasted the earnings potential of a chemical engineer with that of, a, of what pastors are paid, or usually what pastors aren't paid, it was, it was an easy any contrast for me to really make 
a pastor being less desirable. But I couldn't shake God's nudge. I couldn't shake his call on my life. And to make things even worse, really all through high school, and it started when I was like a junior in high school, and it continued throughout college, at various places in my life, I would encounter people, and they would ask me the very same question unsolicited, which was what? Hey, Mike, have you ever thought about becoming a pastor? Unaware that inside I was wrestling with this nudge. In fact, one time, and Robin and I were at this, uh, this church and our, our, our music team, we had done, I had done this, given this little devotional, and this old lady, she was about the size of my grandma. She was like five feet tall and five feet wide. She was German, and uh, I later learned, like, she was the, the wife of the founders of our uh, college, our, our denominational college up in Canada. So she was a spiritual giant. And, and she came up to me, I can still picture in my mind, at the end of the service, and I was kind of standing by myself in the lobby, and she, she, she pointed her finger, and if you've ever had a, a German grandma point her finger at you, you listen. And she said, young man, someday you're going to make a fine pastor, so be careful who you marry. And I felt like, bam, God hit me in the head. God was nudging me. Friend, I propose that my experience is not isolated. I propose, and I'll go on the record to suggest that if you survey the events of your life, that you too can probably point to those moments when people have come up to you and maybe nudged you in a way. You too can likely point to invitations that maybe God laid upon you that you didn't want to do either. Now, here's a question I've been thinking about this week. Do you think saying yes to God's nudges gets any easier the older we get? I mean, we're more spiritual, right? A lot of us have been walking with Jesus longer. You think it's easier for us to say yes now that we're more mature as Christians? I don't either. I agree with you. In fact, I think it might even be harder. Which is why new directions involve accountability. You got to tell somebody. When God nudges, we need to invite others in. I propose that some of you are going to face some big decisions this year. Don't tackle those decisions alone. Don't, don't tackle those decisions in isolation. Invite others into the journey. That's one of the purposes of the church, yes? To support one another when God nudges. New directions involves accountability. And then finally, the third thing that I see here in this Bible story, point number three, is how new direction involves movement. New direction involves movement. A couple years ago, I did a sermon series called You Gotta Move to Improve, right? New directions involve movement. Look again at verse 21. And then I'll start to circle the point on this. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. 
He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elisha as his assistant. Now friends, why does Elisha why does Elisha kill his oxen and burn his plow? Why do that? Because Elisha is stepping boldly and demonstratively into his future, is, is he not? He is removing the possibility of doing what? Of going back. Elisha kills his oxen because without a team of oxen, there can be no plowing. Elisha burns the plow because without a plow, there can be no farming. And then Elisha throws a party. He invites the other plowmen and the townspeople to enjoy his, what we would call a career launch barbecue. In essence, Elisha is going public with his decision that he is responding to God's nudge and he is moving in a new direction. New directions involve movement. So as we stand on the doorstep of this new year, I invite, again, invite you to think about these two questions that I posed to you at the beginning of our conversation. Ask yourself, where is God currently nudging me? Personalize that. Where is God currently nudging me? And who might God want me to nudge? Where is God poking me to change? Where is God nudging me to maybe let go of? And just as important, who is God asking me to invest my life into? Who might God be asking me to, to throw my cloak over? God uses people to nudge us into new directions. Paul Marvis Church, I pray that this will be a year of reformatting for all of us. That we will each individually be open and receptive to God's nudging. Because when we are, with God's help, our lives will be fruitful and we will thrive in this fractured world. Yes? Yes. So let's pray a prayer together. We're going to celebrate communion here in a moment. But before we get there, let's say a prayer together. Okay? So I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And as always, if, if you feel comfortable, I encourage you to kind of open the palms of your hand as if you're going to receive something from the Lord. And let's pray this. First, I want you to just Again, take a deep breath, kind of exhale. Close your eyes if you, if, if you want to. You don't have to. But let's start by, by asking God for forgiveness. Forgiveness for when we're inflexible. Forgiveness for when we're rigid. For forgiveness when we're not teachable. So God, just say, God, please, I'm just asking you for forgiveness as I start this new year for my inflexibility. God, please forgive me for my rigidness, my rigid attitude, my I know better than you mentality. For my stubborn, it's my way or the highway thinking. God, please forgive me for when I'm inflexible. Now let's ask God for his help. Just say, God, will you help me to be flexible this year? 
Heavenly Father, will you help me to be hungry, to grow? God, will you give me courage to be responsive to your nudging? Lord, let this be a year of courage for all of us. Let this year be a year of, of growth and flexibility and, 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 and just movement for all of us. God, the older I get, the less my body wants to move. It's hard for me to bend over sometimes and touch my toes. I'm becoming, my body's just becoming rigid. And God, I, I confess that it probably is true for my mind. There's probably some rigidity in the way I think. And I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. We don't want to be that church. So help us, God, this year to be flexible and hungry and be receptive to your nudging. And if you're here today or you're watching online today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, this is a good time to do it. Just say, Jesus, as much as I know now, I invite you into my life and to grow me and to work in me. Take control of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So Rick, who are you going to have help today? Nancy and Rick are going to be at the back of the sanctuary. We're going to start out the year with communion. It's a meal that, that Jesus gave to his disciples saying, you know, whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, remember me. And so as you celebrate God's love for you through his forgiveness, through Jesus' work on the cross, as you receive the, the, the communion elements today and the cracker and, and the juice, do so with this, this spirit of, of adventure, saying, God, I'm excited for what you have in store for me. I don't know what it is, but I'm, in, I'm inviting you to lead. Friends, God loves you, he is for you, he is with you, and let's celebrate that truth even as you get up right now and, and take communion. You're good and far to you are, to you are, to you are, and I'm loved by you, to I am, to I am. Who I am, you're good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, you're good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am, because you are perfect.
of communion is one of washing feet and so even as Rick comes up to serve myself and David uh, he's really replicating what Jesus did before they took the elements and it's just a reminder that God calls us to serve so as you as you go through this week again pay attention to God's nudges Ask the question, where's God nudging me? And equally important, equally important, who is God asking me to nudge? Who is God asking me to throw my cloak over? Because one of the beauties, brothers and sisters, of being older is we've got some things to share, don't we? We've got experience and we have resources. Let's be a generous church, we are. Let's be a generous people, we are. Requires movement though. So some of you have taken your elements already, that's good. If you have not yet and you're waiting for me, let's eat. And let's drink. As the Bible says, let's celebrate until the Lord's return. Would you stand? Let me just give you one final blessing as Davis sings us out. Again, hands open. Brothers and sisters, as you begin this new year, do so with a spirit of enthusiasm and courage. God is going to nudge you in ways that are going to blow your mind and might scare you a little bit, and the other times will thrill your heart. Do so eagerly. Step into those opportunities eagerly because he loves you. And he's going to use you. So even as we hold our hands up right now, let's just in our hearts say, God, fill me up. Pour into me so that I can pour into others. Go out, pour into others. I bless you in the name of God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Amen. Happy New Year, everybody. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Because you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all. Your ways to us.
Thank you for listening to the Palm Harvest podcast. We would love to get to know you. So download the Palm Harvest app for free and fill out our connection card. Your continued support helps us spread hope around the world. You can also give in our app and find out more about our community.